We go to work, and when we're off, we whine about our day. We sip our cares away, and you can do the same, cause you're in a safe place when you're whining with nurses. Hi, welcome to Whining with Nurses. It's me, Sarah. It's summertime and, you know, people got to go places and do things. So I'm the only one here right now. Um, but I do have a special guest. This is Jeff. Say hello, Jeff. Hello, this is Jeff. <laughs> Jeff's a nurse and I just found out that we actually work at the same place. He's a friend of Takeshi and um, he, you know, agreed to be our guest. And then after talking, we realized we work at the same place. Um, so that's pretty cool. And Jeff, I have a funny thing to tell you. I just realized um, so, you know, we were talking about how we didn't think we had ever met. Did we meet? Are you still? Yeah, yeah. How you and I haven't really met, even though we're basically one floor apart. Uh, are you going to make me guess how we met? No, we met. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. So <laughs> you were floated up to our unit recently to help out. And I gave you a patient that I just mentioned on our Petite Sarah episode. That's like our miniature midweek episode where we just share funny stories. And the story I shared was a gross one. And it was about a patient I had that um, we had put in the shower and put a, a bedside commode in there. And he pooped halfway in the bedside commode while he was having diarrhea. That's why we put that in there. He poops in the bedside commode and all over the shower floor. So he comes out clean as a whistle except for his feet because he had stepped all in it. And I realized that and then immediately had to transfer him to you. So that's the condition I transferred him in and I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I think I think I know who this, this was if it happened in the past week or two. <laughs> Yep, you, you know brat. exactly who it was. <laughs> yeah, I did. So, so I, I didn't do a full nice episode. to meet feces on the <laughs> Called you back. <laughs> no, I was saying on the last episode, it was really unfortunate because I, you know, he had come out of the shower and he he looked so great, but then the room kept smelling like poop, and then I realized that he had <laughs> liquid poop like smushed on the bottom of his feet but then I had already given you a report and it was just time to ship him off as you know we just sent him down I was like sorry and, and it, it wasn't it wasn't pecking out of my head I'm like I'm thinking his feet look really dirty I, I, I know exactly who you're talking about his feet look dirty but I remember, him, I remember I, I'm thinking maybe he just came in off the street from the ED <laughs> that is hilarious I know who it was <laughs> Well, sorry to send you a patient in that condition and nice to meet you again. Um, so I'm going to open the bottle of wine that I have. I've got something called Blina Barbera d'Asti and it says a lot of things in Italian on here. Um, Denominazione di origine controllata de garantita. Listen, I don't speak Italian. Can you tell? <laughs> So, so basically, you're saying you're bougie, and I'm and I'm yes, the common streetwalker with my uh, pre-mixed margarita here. So yeah, <laughs> ooh, pre-mixed, huh? Well, mixed by me, I should say. I mix it good. So <laughs> all right, well, that's all right if you're mixing your own margaritas. Um, yep. 
This is 2016. It was a screw off top. Usually we, we uncork the top and we celebrate, but this time I just unscrewed it. So here we go. A little for me, a little for Takeshi and you know, you got your margarita. So nice talking to you. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about this wine I'm drinking. I think I'm smelling, um, some raspberry or maybe some cranberry. I don't know. It smells like a, a brighter type of berry and then also vanilla, but a little bit different than the wine we had last week. It's not quite so warm and um, candy corn. That's what I identified after Jen left last last time was that the wine smelled like or tasted like candy corn. That's fancy. Anyway, fancy. yeah, I'm digging it. So, um, Jeff, we, we do a little thing called Wine of the Month Club. Um, where we basically complain about something in nursing. It's a great profession, but sometimes it's not so great, and we have complaints. Do you have any complaints off the top of your mind right now? Well, on on my floor, we deal with a lot of challenges. Um, The one that I recently dealt with was a comfort care patient. sent her patient down with poopy feet. Can you hear me? Yeah, I'm just making a joke. Oh, oh what, <laughs> Go what ahead. Did you, sorry. I said a nurse transferred a patient down to you with poopy feet. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was one of your transfers now. Um, <laughs> um, this, this was an ICU transfer. Um, it was uh, actually, we, we initially thought we were going to harvest the patient's organs. Um, oh. But then once you, apparently, once you extubate, you have 90 minutes. Uh, if the patient is still living after 90 minutes, they're no longer a organ donor. Um, they're no longer eligible. In, in, anyways, so um, this, this patient, anyways, came down with a lot of family dynamic drama and it was, looked fairly comfortable, was breathing well was doing okay the first day. Um, I, I got off. I, I, you know, we do 12-hour shifts where we work, so um, I, I give... Uh, I, I uh, give report to the night nurse, and the patient looks very strong. So they ended up mm-hmm. um, kind of decompensating the next day. The breathing, Their breathing was changing. Um, the patient's breathing was changing. They were becoming gasping a little bit more and I, I'm trying to explain to all the family who's huddled in the room you know this is a sign I need to increase the morphine you know at this point um, mm-hmm. and families just don't understand well we, are you drugging my you're drugging my loved one you know uh, we just don't get it so um, it, at the end of the day I I was kind of pushing to make the patient comfortable and, and the family was, the family ended up thinking I was being kind of a bull in a china shop or being kind of a pushy. So hmm. like when my, my boss was rounding or the doctor was rounding, they're like, yeah, I could overhear him saying, you know, yeah, we're not, he's okay. You know, but we like you <laughs> kind of, kind of not trashing me, but, and, and then I remember like an hour or two after, the doctor left, they kind of called me and, um, yeah, about that morphine, you think you could up it? Like, yeah, could you do what, could you do what you just were offering to do for us? So, um, 
Hmm. It was. Uh, I wonder what provoked that change of of opinion. Uh, well, they could finally. I could see subtle changes in the patient in their breathing, mm-hmm. and uh, which the which the family didn't see. But um, mm-hmm. it, then it became dramatic. It became the patient was gasping for air, and then they're like, okay. "Yeah, I think we may need to do what you are suggesting." At that point, so um, that was after I already got the negative review from you know, with all my bosses and things. So no, that was good. But um, I, at stuff. the end of the day, I'm, I'm not heavy. concerned about being the bad, uh, you know, coming off like that for my, I will always advocate for my patient to make my patient comfortable. Um, and I, I, I'm treating the family, but it, that even more so. I'm more concerned about my patient's well-being. So um, I am not upset about how I handled the situation. I'm, I'm just okay with it. I'm, you know, and yeah. So, uh, the patient passed away peacefully, you know, within about 48 hours of coming down to med to, to our floor. So, it, wow. it, um, I think we did our job anyways. That's, um, you're, you're right. That is a challenge because, um, it's really confusing for family members when they, when you're giving a drug that most people know is sedating, can have some negative side effects, but you're giving it purposefully to make the patient comfortable, knowing full well that it it's gonna, you know, not help their respiratory status, but it's going to help the way that they feel regarding that respiratory status. Like it's it's supposed to make the patient feel less panicked, less. Um, pain and, and anxiety over the, you know, lack of oxygen that they're receiving. So, yeah, I think that's totally valid thing. Um, it's, it's really confusing for patient family members. And I think that's awesome. You know, you kind of didn't let it affect you too much and just continue to do the right thing for the patient. Yeah, it's a, it's a fine line because the, the patient's basically comatose, um, and and really, the patient who you're actually treating is the family. I mean, you're you're treating the symptoms of the patient, but the emotions of the family. So the whole patient is is the whole group of people that's involved, and it's just really tricky. It's what makes nursing more than just. Um, it kind of makes it an art and a science. I don't know if I'm explaining that right, but yeah. it's, there's a way to. There's a way to tiptoe that line where you're doing what's best for the patient, but also helping the family with their process. So that's a really great way of putting it that you're you're treating the p- symptoms of the patient, but the emotions of the family. I think that's really well said, especially regarding scenarios like this where someone, the patient's not able to really participate in their care or make any decisions. Um, yeah, that's really accurate I would say yeah um, I also have a wine of the month club wine um, it's we're, we're shifting gears a little bit this is less serious so um, <laughs> so I had a patient who um, had a lot of tubes and drains so this patient had a condom catheter he had a, uh, a rectal tube and then he had uh, an NG tube for feeding um, and 
the condom catheter was just kind of teetering on the edge of coming off all day. But you know, sometimes if it's like just barely hanging on, you just leave it because condom caths don't stick very well anyway. And you don't want to keep irritating someone's skin. So that's kind of where I was at with that. The rectal tube, the night nurse had told me that his stool, so rectal tubes are great if someone has liquid stool, if they have loose stool. But if they have solid stool, rectal tubes are not great because then that solid stool is just going to push the rectal tube out. Would you agree? Yeah, exactly. It's more for like incontinent patients who are having loose stools. It it doesn't, Yeah. yeah. So she said, his stool can be really firm. Make sure you flush this rectal tube so you can, you know, inject some sterile water into the tube so that you can make the stool more loose if you think it's going to be too firm. So I was doing it all day, not excessively, but just ensuring that I wasn't going to like lose this tube and have to replace it. Um, And we had moved this patient from one bed to the gurney, took him downstairs to CT scan, got him from the gurney back to the bed, turning him every two hours. Like it was, you know, I I spent a lot of time in this patient's room and I was fully aware of all the things that were going on with his body. Well, I went on my lunch break and um, that's for 30 minutes. And I came back and about 10 minutes after I came back, there was a physical therapist and an occupational therapist in the room and they were going to try to get him up sitting on the edge of the bed. And I said, oh, okay, great. Well, you know, he, that might be a little bit painful for him. He, he's been in the same position for a while. Let me go get him some pain medication and I'll come back. So I did. And when I came back, they said all of his tubes came out. Oh, nice. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean all of his tubes came out? Because he had a pick line as well. And I'm just like, do you mean all of them, all of them or what? So they basically meant his condom cath had fallen off and his rectal tube had come out bad enough. So anyway, that wasn't the problem. The problem was the way they all looked at me and this might just be my own insecurity. And I think that's what my wine of the month is, is my own insecurities. Because I knew that I had done right by this patient all day. I'd been checking him very frequently. In fact, I spent most of my time in this patient's room. And I know 100% that when I left for lunch, he was not laying in a pool of his own feces and urine, you know? And things like that can happen really quickly. And they might have happened while the physical therapist and occupational therapist were manipulating his body and moving him. Um, But the way they looked at me, I felt like it was a little accusatory, like... uh, what, what do you do with your patients? He's covered in his own urine and stool, you know? <sighs> anyway, uh, no, that's all. <laughs> no, no I, I feel you. I'm, we, we love and hate therapy, really. We, we, lo- we mm-hmm. love that they get them up. Um, we hate some of the things they do <laughs> or, or some of the ways that they look at us or um, kind of they... they, they 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 have good intentions. I'll just say that. And and sometimes there's a bigger picture that us nurses who have been with the patient for twelve hours know that that the right. therapy does doesn't know about. So <laughs> I, I really empathize with you there. So um, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, again, it's probably, I don't even know what they were thinking. It's probably just my own insecurities. And yeah, you're right. They they do have great intentions. And I was super happy they were going to try and get this patient up. But uh, in the end, we ended up not getting him up because it took about an hour and a half to get everything cleaned up. It was a big ordeal. Um, Yeah. And to get things replaced, which the rectal tube I did not replace because, you know, if he's having solid stools, then what's the point of the rectal tube? 
And if it's not going to catch the liquid stools that came out into the bed, then also what's the point of the rectal tube? I just left it out. But did replace the condom, Kath. That's my story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, you use critical thinking, though. That's that's good. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so tell me about your background. It sounded like maybe you've worked at a skilled nursing before and now you're in med surge. Is that right? Yeah, I, I graduated in 14 and then <clears throat> basically needed a job. So I, I walked in to a skilled nursing facility where I had friends working. Um, they said, Jeff's a good, they, they walked me to the, the, the director of nursing, said, oh, Jeff's a good guy. And uh, she said, come in tomorrow. I, I went in tomorrow. <laughs> so I basically got a job in 48 hours at the skilled nursing place. Wow. I worked there for almost three years. Um, I gained a new respect for, I mean, skilled nursing facilities really, I think, get a bad reputation, especially... Um, you know, with the fires in Santa Rosa, with some of the stories you hear out of these nurses abandoning these nursing mm-hmm. homes and leaving mm-hmm. the patients. Um, well, when that happened, I was still on call at the nursing facility. I worked at. Um, I couldn't make it to work because the roads were roads were blocked to the hospital. Mm-hmm. So I drove to the skilled nursing facility and... Of course, they needed staffing. I mean, a lot of their staff couldn't get to work. So um, I was involved in getting... Wait, so at the time of the fires, you were working at the hospital that you're at now? I was working at both jobs because I was unsure of my status at the hospital. So that's pretty common. Nurses kind of keep multiple jobs until, you know, they feel secure at one or maybe... There's a lot of reasons that nurses work multiple jobs, but, um, yeah, so I was, so I, I just knew that there would be a need, um, in the town I live in for, you know, with these fires. Um, so I, I went and drove back and we ended up having dozens of, um, uh, paramedic or, um, ambulances take, take maybe a hundred patients to other facilities in the Bay area, San Francisco, um, all throughout the North Bay, taking our patients to a safe place. Cause we lost power. We lost power at the facility. Um, oh. and so, you know, you don't hear about stories like that where the nurses didn't nurses. We didn't know if our homes were safe. We didn't know if our kids you know, we, we, we trusted that our kids were safe, but we went and went to work, you know, through that and still mm-hmm. did our duty to make sure our patients were accounted for and safe. And so, um, that was kind of, that was kind of a tangent, but yeah, I, I learned that's kind of my background. I, you know, you have 20 patients, 20, 20 to 25 and they, these patients used to what? be needing hospital care, um, 10 or 20 years ago, but now they're in a skilled nursing facility and you have 20 of them and you're basically you have, putting, out, putting out I fires all day. I did not realize so, yeah. 20 patients. I, I was thinking more like 10 or 12, which I already thought was incredibly high, a, a large amount of patients. You have 20 to 25? Yeah, our, our um, post-acute, so that a post-acute patient is one that was sent to us from a hospital. 
for rehab or a pneumonia or a blood infection. They could have IV antibiotics. Uh-huh. I mean, they, these are really sick patients. And we'd have 60 of those, 50 to 60, and three nurses um, taking care of those patients on our post, it's quote-unquote post-acute, but they're really sick patients. Yeah, um, I'm familiar. We discharge patients to post-acute all the time, and they're still, yeah, needing a good amount of care. Exactly. So <clears throat> um, hopefully three-quarters of those patients are are pretty independent and healthy and can get to the toilet on their own. And as a skilled nursing, as a nurse at a skilled nursing facility, you live and die by your aides. So um, if you don't have a good relationship with your aides, you're going to have falls, you're going to have burnout. It just won't work. So I made sure that (laughs) I was besties with all my aides and it, it worked out. I was, I think I was a decent um, sniff nurse, they call it a sniff. So, <laughs> um, that just blows my mind. I mean, I've always known that, that, you know, sniff nurses have had a really large patient load and are probably overworked. And, uh, but that just, I had no idea that you could be responsible for that many patients. So do you have to do an assessment on each patient every day? Um, it, it, it depends on their insurance. So Kaiser has one type of assessment. Medicare has um, a longer assessment. Skilled nursing facilities make their money on Medicare. Um, And Mm -hmm. so it's important that the nurses document um, all, do a thorough thorough assessment and a thorough um, daily assessment, it's called. And we have full-time nurses at the facility who all they do is, um, code the, the medical diagnoses of these patients. And if you don't, it's your job to chart. So if you don't chart correctly, then these billing nurses can't bill properly. Uh, that's really where they make their money is on these, um, well, the patient has this diagnosis, like a pneumonia, and they have a you know broken hip, and um, they need therapy. And, okay, so all those things are accounted for um so if you're you're it takes it takes time but that's your job is to keep everybody safe and do good documentation so the uh, facility makes money at the end of the day so um that's really interesting. So I guess that, that makes sense because a lot of the stuff that we do in the hospital is also Medicare driven. You know, a lot of our documentation is uh, stuff that's required or audited by Medicare. Um, but yeah, it, it sounds like it's maybe even more important in skilled nursing um, that you guys document to appease, you know, Medicare's requirements in order to get reimbursed for the care that you provide. Oh, totally, totally, yes. Um, and um, the the facility can lose money, too, if there's expense. They get a set rate for a diagnosis. So if there's an expensive, this is maybe a problem with our system, is that if there's a medication that the patient needs that's very expensive, the skilled nursing facility mm-hmm. will reject them. They'll say, no, you know, we're not going to take that patient 
we have X amount of dollars, this medication is too expensive, we're going to break even or lose money, so sorry, find somewhere else. And that, who, I don't know what happens to that patient. They fall through the cracks or um, it's wow. kind of sad to me what that they that the system is built like that so um, that makes sense but I didn't I didn't I didn't know that was the case I had no idea that that was the case but it makes sense to me now because if you're only getting x amount of dollars and you can't get more amount of dollars despite what other medications this patient is on and the patient needs this medication yeah that makes sense that's super interesting yeah, it's. I've had other situations at the hospital too, where a patient is discharged on an expensive medication, and they can't afford it. And we have great social workers at the hospital who help with these situations. But sometimes there's just no answer. There's nothing that we can realistically do um, for the patient. So um, it really. It's sad to me that your economic means can decide your outcome, you know, life or death. But I agree a hundred percent. And I think a lot of times the the drug manufacturers they try to give this um, give off this perception that anyone can have any med, and that's true to an extent because they do have patient care assistance programs. But you only qualify for them if you're of a certain income or below. And if you're in this medium income um, range, it seems that that's where people tend to really fall through the cracks. If you're you know, independently wealthy and you can pay for whatever medication you need, that's one scenario. If you're completely unable to pay for anything, oftentimes there are assistance programs so that you can have this medication for low cost or no cost. But if you're somewhere in between... This is just in my experience. It seems that that's where people really struggle to figure out how to pay for the medications that they need and have to switch to something that's maybe not ideal or, um, yeah, just uh, suffer the consequences of not having the medication, which is really unfortunate. Exactly, yeah. The other other thing I was just going to mention was just some of the shady discharges we have to do in the hospital that it seems like we could come up with better solutions. Like I've discharged patients to a park bench. I'm not, I'm homeless patients. I'm not even joking. Like, um, and these are patients that just are homeless and they're frequent flyers. So they're patients that are in and out of the hospital. Um, and you have, I think we have a deficit. We have a huge problem with mental health services in Sonoma County. Um, and I don't, yeah. I don't know. And if everywhere in the United States, everywhere, I, yeah. I think. And what, I don't know what Just the solution what is hearing. to that, but <laughs> if we can do anything to, to, um, buffer or increase our mental health services to these patients who are mentally ill, who are homeless, um, I think that would go a long ways to, to improving our care. I don't know. Yeah, 100%. Well, tell me, we'll we'll shift gears here a little bit. Tell me how you made the transition to the hospital and how was that for you? Yeah, so um, I I had some life events, basically. uh, Had a divorce and, you know, I'm a single dad, so 
uh, once that all settled down and I felt like my girls were settled and stable, I decided I was ready for a change. I, uh, before I even became a nurse, I was, a, I'm still am a handyman. So I've worked with my hands. I've done a lot of different things. So, um, Change is, is that just what it normal means to be me. a handyman? Um, changing careers, changing <laughs> jobs. So, um, but yeah, um, kind of made a cold call. Um, I just had a good, I, I work kind of in a small hospital. I got a good mm-hmm. feeling from them. Um, felt like you had some autonomy there. Um, really got to know the doctors well. Um and totally. I, I have noticed a lot of turnover in the in the hospital, and it's kind of strange to me why. But um, I know money's a big thing. But um, money is a big thing, but it's not everything, right? Yeah, I mean, and to get the schedule you want as a single parent, to get support from your bosses, um, mm-hmm. support from your colleagues, your coworkers. And from your age. And that autonomy you mentioned, that doesn't happen everywhere. Yeah, and I figure, yes, I could go work in the Bay Area or in San Francisco and make a lot more money or whatever, but what's the thing, what are the things I'm giving up to do that, um, you know, with time and schedule? And, um, and I am being challenged at my job. I feel like. I, I got, um, so I'm chemo certified now at the first, uh, January and January, I got a certification oh. so I can uh, administer chemotherapy and immunotherapy. And so those are some of the best patients I've ever had, some of these. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah. That's challenging to actually chemotherapy. Yes, yeah. and they're, they're amazing patients to, if you, if you took care of a, a cancer patient, you would think they were just healthy most of the time. They they have such good outcome, outlooks. Mm-hmm. They have better outlook mm-hmm. than, than me on life. I'm like, wow, how do you? So, <laughs> I'm like, like, I'm okay, not even going to make it through myself. this day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I've, I'm really glad I did that. So there's so there's these opportunities at, at the hospital are kind of why I don't plan on leaving. It's just a good job for me, so. So do you get a lot of chemo patients on your unit? Did you say female? Chemo. Chemo. Pa- patients needing oh, chemotherapy. Chemo, chemo patients. <laughs> um, yes, I get I, maybe once every, <laughs> once every two weeks. Wow. Wow. I, um, I'm giving chemo or immunotherapy. So immunotherapy is, is almost, it's almost more common now than chemo. So immunotherapy basically cancer cells can target our regular um, healthy cells uh, Mm -hmm. on certain receptors on our healthy cells. So what immunotherapy does is it binds to those receptor sites and prevents the cancer from spreading or growing. And it's not true chemo. uh, Maybe some people call it light chemo, but um, we still have to... And it's supposed to be more tolerable than chemo, right? Because it's more... Uh, almost natural. It's almost like your body's own. I don't know. Yeah, it has it has less side effects. <laughs> um, it's not truly chemo, um, and it can be very effective in limiting or slowing down cancer. 
uh, growth. Mm-hmm. And it's just, uh, we have a, a amazing oncologist where I work. So they will spend, if there's a patient who's newly diagnosed with cancer, I've seen our oncologist spend 30 minutes, an hour in the room with the patient, um, telling them what they have, what their prognosis is, um, what to wear, you know, okay, this is what you might, these are your activity restrictions. It's just really, it's really good. Um, it's a really good unit, our oncology unit. So, uh, that's really cool. So what would be an example of an immunotherapy drug? Is that like, um, the uh, IgG or something or what's, can you name something? Um, I gave a drug called Remicade. For a patient, oh, yeah, okay. For a patient with ulcerative colitis. So mm-hmm. I, I, if I'm remembering off the top of my head, it binds to like a tumor antigen. So basically it's supposed to reduce inflammation in a patient with ulcerative colitis. P- patients with ulcerative colitis have like very bad diarrhea and they lose weight and mm-hmm. they don't have an appetite and... Um, the the idea behind it is that this will reduce the inflammation, reduce the symptoms of that ulcerative colitis, and the patient yeah, actually, can gain weight think, and gain their energy back and get back to normal. You know, without having to do it. The other option is like the nuclear option is doing surgery, like taking out part of the colon, which we don't want to do. Right. So, and having an ostomy. yeah, because once it's out. It's not going to go back in. That's yeah. They, you, you don't get your colon back once you <laughs> remove it. So yeah. yeah, I think you can use Remicade for things like lupus too, right? I think so. there's yeah, there's several applications. I, you know, as as a chemo nurse, I don't think I've given the same drug twice. So <laughs> it's like hmm. it's kind of tricky. You have to you're going in to give the med, and then you're 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 teaching. You know the theories, but you still have to. Um, look up every med and make sure you can explain it to a fifth grader. Um, and and it's not just giving the med, it's knowing how to explain it to a patient and um, safely do it and <clears throat> making the patient feel good about that. So um, that's a big challenge. Cool. Well, so what's your um, long-term plan? Are you where you want to be? Or do you want to go into chemo, you know, in oncology nursing exclusively? Or, you know, what's your, what's your five-year long-term my plan? My plan is, to, is that my girls are raised knowing they have a loving, supportive, supportive father. So my job as a nurse supports my job as a father. Okay. <clears throat> and that's okay. my number one job is to raise my girls. And this job at... The hospital I'm working at now is doing that for me. Um, I have no desire to leave. Um, I, the, the, my hours are perfectly arranged around my girls' schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, my job as a father, like, trumps any other aspirations I could have as a nurse. Um, although cool, I, I want to be a great nurse. Your priorities in line. I want to be a great nurse, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but. That's way more important to me. So, of course, I respect that a hundred percent. Yeah, uh, it's a pretty great place we work at, huh? I think so. I think I think some people miss it because we don't get paid as much 
as some Bay Area nurses or other nurses in the Central Valley. But mm-hmm. I think I don't think the grass is always greener. Um, so. Agreed. And I've been in so many pastures. I was a travel nurse for a while. So, yeah, the grass is definitely not always greener. I feel like I really love where we where we work right now. It's it's a happy place. People are genuinely nice to each other. And, yeah, like you said, you can remain challenged, um, but comfortable in other ways. And I feel like, I don't know if you feel like this, I feel like I could I could ask to orient on another unit and they would do that for me. And they, yeah, they have tried, like no they one's going to try to hold you back. Yeah, so I don't, mm-hmm. I feel like they would encourage that, so. Are you going to come up to our unit? I think I will. I They wanted to float me to that unit and I couldn't because I hadn't been oriented yet. I, I don't think my boss or my... Um, my director of my unit really wants me to start floating. <laughs> I think they'd rather me stay on that unit. <laughs> but, yeah, um, sure. I mean, if you've got a, a valuable nurse who's it, chemo certified, and you know, I would want to hang on to you. Yeah. Too. So, um, but I'm not against. I, I always want to learn. I think that's what nursing is all about: is learning and, and improving yourself. And that's mm-hmm. that's why I did the chemo certification, and I had my pals and ACLS and some other um, certifications going too. So I think, I think you need to be, I don't, if, if you're not learning as a nurse, I, I think that's, that's, I, if you're a nurse, you need to be learning basically. It's your own fault. If you're not learning as a nurse, it's your own fault. There's always something to learn. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> you need to seek it out. <laughs> yep. Well, thanks for talking with us, Jeff. This has been really Interesting. Actually, I'm super glad to hear about your sniff experience. Um, hopefully, we didn't focus on that too much, but that was really, you know, it was genuinely like new information to me. Um, and I hope you join us for our Petite Sarah episode. Um, all of you listeners out there, you can write to us at www.nurses at gmail.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram at Whining W Nurses. And thanks again, Jeff. Cheers. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Keshi. Cheers. Thanks.